So welcome to the Red Review podcast. Welcome everybody. Hello, mate. Hello. Yeah, very good. Thanks. Very good. Recording on a again blustery, blustery day like last time. But at least, at least it's the weekend. Yes. Yeah. Although, yeah, it's not too bad here instantly. It's actually it's, it's a little, little breezy, um, but the sun's out. Yeah, I had a little wonder. Uh, I treated myself to a uh, breakfast from Greg's this morning because uh, that's the kind of guy I am. And, oh. uh, well, that's, 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 there's a slight hangover at play. Let's say I went out with the, some of my mates last night and uh, yeah, feeling um, a little jaded. So what they, uh, do you have? Uh, they do a magnificent breakfast bat thing, sausage, uh, bacon and egg, which is uh, probably going to kill me at some point. <laughs> have you tried the uh, vegan sausage rolls? Uh, I have not. No, well, to be honest, I, I, the, the Greg's thing, I used to go to Greg's far too often. It became a bit of a running joke with my mates. And so I stopped going for quite a long time, including all of this vegan sausage roll period. Um, but today was a, a needs must situation. Yeah, the, the hangover was getting me. You got to try them. They're, they're surprisingly good. So I hear. Yeah, so I hear. No, I'll, I'll put it on the list. I'll put it on the list. So what have you been up to then? Uh, well, we had, I guess the big thing, um, other than Morbid Sindling, uh, was we had our breakfast event on Wednesday morning yeah. uh, at Brigade, uh, which other than a bit of uh, sound or noise interference from an extractor fan at the back, uh, which we'll learn a lesson for next time, uh, I think it was a resounding success, I think. Did you think I, so? We haven't, we haven't had the chance to talk about it, actually, have we? We've not been... No, not really. We're changing WhatsApp messages. Um, yeah, I thought it went well. So obviously, second event, um, the first mm. one was good. This one, I think, was e- I think this one was even better. Um, better venue, I think, although despite the sound challenge, yeah, um, lighter, more spacious, better area for networking. We had hot um, bacon rolls. Although I did have a complaint, there was no hot vegetarian option. Um, yes, yeah. Pick that one up for next time. You might have seen because she put it on every single Alison. Hi, Alison, if you're listening, put it on every single social media platform she did. Her three tips. Excellent. Uh, third one was <laughs> vegetarian, hot vegetarian option. I mean, as a vegetarian myself, I was quite happy to have pastries, but um, yeah, fine. Next time, let's get a bubble and squeak or something for, for my veggie, veggie comrades. And then I got the joy of interviewing um, Simon Boyle, OBE. The founder of Brigade and also Beyond Food charity, mm, and yeah. I do genuinely mean it was a joy. He was he was fascinating. Um, we kind of talked around his journey into social entre- entrepreneurship and food, and he hadn't told me we did we did a prep call. Um, he hadn't told me he'd been on Dragon's Den, so he revealed that on yeah. the, the interview, and they turned him down. And then now the Peter Jones Foundation and others come back to work with him. Now that he's a success, and I think I think you could see a bit of a wry smile there. Of oh, definitely, it's him and the Tangle Teaser as the two that got away. Mm. Do you know? Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what the Tangle Teaser is? Uh, I do not. You're gonna have to explain that one. On Dragon's Den, there was this guy who, who came in essentially with a comb um, that uh, that unknots hair. Um, and it doesn't so it doesn't sound so it doesn't sound particularly exciting and, and the dragons didn't invest in it but he went on to be like the world's leading hair product 
Um, actually, there's no other product in the market that when you have long, you're a, have long wet hair, that you comb it and it gently pulls the tangles out of your hair. And I think like now they've sold hundreds of millions or tens of millions around the world of this product, and the dragons kind of all poo pooed it as like, why have you turned up with a comb? But, um, <laughs> it, I think it's infamously on Dragon's Den. It's, it's infamously the the one that got away is the Tangle Teaser. But now we know it's the Tangle Teaser and uh, and social enterprise in food as well. So, yeah. yeah, very good. Very so should we go into our chat today? So Jen's joining us today from, um, well, she can introduce herself. She um, does a lot of bid writing and, and bid stuff, but from the funding and charities um, world. So I think it'd be a fascinating conversation. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. She's, I think she's a real inspiration. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. So let's fire into it. Hi, it's Katie, editor of the Red Review podcast. We'd love you to give us your feedback. So in the show notes and also pinned to the top of our Twitter feed, you'll find a short feedback survey. It's only eight questions long and it shouldn't take more than a couple of minutes to complete. And to say thank you, every person completing the survey will be entered into a prize draw for a £25 gift voucher. We look forward to hearing from you. So Jeremy, let me introduce you to today's guest, uh, Genevieve Kitchen. Hello, Jen. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. So this is the first time we've recorded a podcast in person because Jen's sitting in my um, in my lounge as, as Dash is the dog, the podcast dog, is just wandering around yeah. by the front door. So how are you doing, Jen? I'm good, thank you. It's a nice afternoon morning. Feeling yeah. quite refreshed and ready to go. Made lots of notes for today. Got lots of things to talk about, all that kind of stuff. So do you want to introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what do you do? Yeah, so uh, my full title is Councillor Genevieve Kitchen. Um, I'm 24, I'm a councillor for the London Borough of Newham, uh, but that's only my part-time job. My full-time job is I am the Trust and Foundations Relationship Coordinator for a small council charity. And before that, I worked for the Salvation Army um, as their Trust and Foundations fundraiser. And um, it's kind of a different angle, I think, on bid writing than um, what I've listened to on the podcast before. So I think that's me, kind of. If you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. So bidding's a bit different for you. Very different, I think. What 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 is bidding to someone who works in a charity fundraising world then? Well, I think first and foremost, in the private sector and public sector, when you bid, you are providing services for the client. I don't do that. We don't provide services for the people that we're bidding to. We provide services for our supporters and the people that need our services. So we are asking people to give money on behalf of someone else which is, I think, the first and foremost big, biggest difference. So our bidding starts really with the relationships. And I think um, I was listening to a podcast earlier where you were talking about capture. And I think that's where we really excel. We do a lot of relationship building. And then the kind of piece of paper is, uh, or the, the invitation to tender, although we don't use that language, is the kind of the final endpoint where we really solidify our proposals. And then these people are happy to emotionally give to other people who might need the services more. 
So Jen, tell us a bit about the scale and complexity of the equivalent of bids that you work on. Well, they vary so vastly. I mean, we don't deal, or I don't deal with numbers that I think you guys deal with. I don't deal in the millions or billions, although we kind of deal at the smaller end of the millions section. Um, but I can range- Hold on. So someone, you're bidding to someone or a fund to give you millions of pounds? Yes. I, I assumed you were talking about tens of thousands. Well, I mean, that's kind of like the bread and butter, but we do have, there are charities that, and I can't name them, for obvious reasons, uh, that we are going to, to to give us millions. Wow. And hundreds of thousands up to millions. That's yeah. real. Sorry, go on. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the scale and complexity is kind of massive. I can work on something that's for five grand one day to 180,000 to 500,000 to 912,000 the next day. Um, and again, there's no kind of formal portal. So when I worked in the private sector, if we were bidding for say home office contracts, we'd have a portal that we went to and the, the questions would be the same. Some trust and foundations are like that. So you've got like the National Lottery Community Fund, you've got Garfield Weston, you've got Wolfson, where they have, or the Rothschild Foundation, where they have set kind of criteria and questions you have to, create a title that's 20 words long, 250 characters, all those kind of stuff. Oh, character counts. Oh, the, the, love bugbear, the bugbear of the bidders right now working in the public sector. Uh, but then there are others where they're like, oh, well, just submit two sides of A4 and a cover letter and we'll see you at Christmas. So it's it, it really depends and it really varies. And I think there's a whole different set of skills there. And if you're a Trust and Foundations fundraiser, and major donor fundraiser, you have to be both good at the nitty gritty writing, making sure that your commas are in the right place and your apostrophes are where they're supposed to be and that you don't have a split infinitive, but also be really personable and able to go to someone's house and mansion and kind of assimilate there as well. Wow. And um, what, what does a bid team look like for you then? So at the moment, I'm working in a really small charity where it's just me. Um, but when I when I worked at the Salvation Army, there was um, six of us. Uh, we had someone that did prospect research, which is um, I'll go on to a little bit later on. Um, but then you can go up to like the big charities like Marie Curie, who have people that are case for support writers, fundraisers, prospect researchers, the universities themselves, like so universities like King's and Queen Mary are the ones that I've come into contact with. They have prospect research teams of 15 to 20, and that is literally just looking through people to see who could give us money or could give them money. And then there is um, fundraisers who are on the more like personable side of it, where they're going out and meeting these people, picking up the phone, starting the relationship. And then you have the case for support people, which are actually writing the bids. So on big, well-oiled machines like universities and really large charities, it can be kind of like 40 to 50 people whereas then you get the other end of the scale where it's small style charities where um there's one person that does both trust and foundations and statutory which again is another thing that i do as well what's statutory? statutory is bidding to uh councils and local authorities and sometimes national government as well okay so that's so, kind of more what you guys more do. our bidding 
Yeah. And Jen, do, do you think, do you, do you get people transferring between the private sector to come and work for charities like you and back again? Or are they are there a sort of specific crowd that you find in, in both um, camps? We've not found it, but there is a massive short of Trust and Foundations fundraisers. So I don't know whether we all come from the charity sector and then go to the private sector because you guys pay us more or <laughs> whether <laughs> or whether... Um, I'm, I'm sure there are lots of people in the private sector who get disillusioned by big writing and then come to the charity sector for the kind of meaning. That's what I did when I left PR and private sector PR to come to the charity sector in the first place. I've not personally experienced it because we're regulated by completely different people. You are by AMPM. APMP. Oh, sorry, APMP. And we are by the Institute of Fundraising, the fundraising regulator. So it's, I don't think the world's crossed and I think they should, which is why I'm here. Interesting. So you talked a bit about what we would call capture, which you call... Prospect research. Prospect research. And cultivation. And cultivation. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so what does that entail? So for a, let, let's put it in the context of a, a fund you're going after rather than an individual. Okay. So again, there's two kind of... If I'm going for a trust and foundation or a statutory grant, I'll do both of them because they're a little bit okay. different. So for a trust and foundation, initially... Um, we'd look to see if any of the individuals have given to us before or have, any, have given to anything similar, so in their personal wealth. Uh, we look at all the trustees, and a trust and foundation usually has three or more trustees. They have to have a, um, an odd amount so that it can come down on a specific decision. Uh, but we go through their, the trustees and we look to see if they are uh, directors of any companies. Um, we look to see if uh, they have any uh, public investments, uh, we look through the media just to see if they've had any scandals or not. We hope for not. Um, we then look at the charitable foundation themselves. So all of this information is public. Um, we look to see where they're registered, if they're registered with a law firm and what the law firm's kind of um, agenda is and who else they manage. We then um, look at their investment portfolio, if they have the some, some trust and foundations don't. Uh, we then look at kind of uh, the investments that they've given to other charities. So what kind of grants they give. Um, if we're really, really keen on them, then we actually then go back to the, uh, our mates in the charity sector and we're like, so have you had a grant from this person? What did you expect? What did they want? Kind of um, what really tick makes them tick? Because a lot of charities and foundations um, have websites and they say, oh, well, we like to fund medical research, but then it's a specific type of medical research. They might want to fund Alzheimer's, but not cancer and all that kind of stuff. So we go, we then go back to the people that we know that have got gifts from them before. And we say, what worked for you? What was successful? And then we kind of build our initial pitch around that. So that's like our trust and foundations prospect research. Right. Um, and then it goes on to a cultivation stage, which is different. So that first bit of research, how far out from actually putting a pitch in to secure that funding are you doing that? Uh, it depends on the amount. So if we're, say, we're going for a, a, a £200,000 research programme, mm -hmm. um, then this will all start kind of six months before. Okay. So uh, we start researching, creating a kind of a hit list to go to um, because we don't expect someone to feel... If, if the if the total project's a million pounds, we don't expect one person or one trust and foundations to fund the million pounds because that's just not how they work. We expect three, four, five, six, 
then some top off of our general funds to fund it as well. So um, we create like a hit list to go out to and our industry kind of success rate in medical research is 15%. So we can't, we can't expect all the gifts and all the prospects that we have to kind of come to fruition. It's quite low. Well, yeah, because I'm up against 300 other charities a month. Really? Yeah. And, you, and we thought we had a bad Jeremy. Yeah, yeah, but I'm so impressed with all, you know, we, we talk, and Mike knows that I talk about capture all the time. Um, and in the UK, at least, the, the reality of how many organisations really do it and certainly do it well is really low. Um, but you're one person working in a fairly small organisation and you're, it sounds like you're smashing it. That's oh, fascinating. Um, although they, it does pre present a slight risk that we'll start coming and plundering you guys for people who know how to do <laughs> capture. So we'll have to, <laughs> well, yeah, we'll have to hold that on. The big universities do. Oh, so they're quite, they're quite scary, actually. Um, for prospect research in big universities, their teams, they can do things like um, Myers-Briggs tests on their prospects. So they'll um, track what type of person you are and then um, kind of create the perfect situation for you to give in. So if you're an alumni from a university and you did, I don't know, international business, they'll profile you at uni, see that you're probably a risk taker, risk taker if you're now an investment funder, and they will create the perfect situation for you to give in because they profiled you as that type. They also look at all of your investments and when you've sold stocks and shares, when your house has been sold, they check out for um, inheritance and death notice. Jesus. <laughs> inheritance money and then they create a relationship around that. Oh, yeah. It's a dark art. I mean, I get, I get an alumni thing from Loughborough where I went to university but like, and like asking to ask me to donate and stuff and I'm not, I don't really engage it and now, now I'm just going to throw it straight in the bin because there's going to be some microchip in there recording everything I'm doing <laughs> so again at 24 I don't really have that much money I don't really work in an industry that uh, or I work in the charity sector but the day I got elected three days after that was the first time I had anything from Queen Mary coming through saying would you like to donate wow that's, that's really interesting so yeah and how do we transfer that into the world of kind of public sector and private sector bidding well let me go on to statutory fundraising for you um so when we go back to statutory which we did at the salvation army uh we don't really do it much at, the, at sarcoma where i'm at the moment um we used to look at kind of the political makeup of the statutory board so um being a councillor i sit on some very small local grants and um i know that any trust fundraiser worth their salt would be profiling me to see what i liked uh, they'd look on my Twitter, Facebook, all those kind of things to see that as a young woman, I'm really up for women's rights, young people's investment, children, young people, all those kind of things. It's things that I tweet about most. So they would pinpoint me or pinpoint at least a paragraph that would kind of excite me. They'd look at everybody else on the board and see what they want. And if there's a heavy kind of makeup of children and young people, then they'd pinpoint that. So, um, kind of what we do is when we put our bids to statutory yes we have the character count yes we have the um kind of the titles and the 500 word summaries and all those kind of things but what we would do is we would make sure that our 500 word summary spoke to at least two or three people that sat on that board wow so you're writing for the actual people yeah so i, th I think that's something that that i definitely don't do enough of 
is is actually working out the specific people and writing to those to those people. Mm. Um, I mean, sorry, Dash just decided to get up. Dasha, shush. He's, he's bored of talking about bidding. <laughs> This is why you're not coming to the APMP conference. We get very too long. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. So, like, um, I did a bid last year to Network Rail, and there were 76 people evaluating it. Yeah. So to write to a group of people would probably be quite challenging. Oh, it depends what kind of. I'm assuming that they're, they're all from different organisations, all from different kind of councils and. Local they're all from Network Rail. They're all from Network Rail. But they were from different, I guess, areas. Areas so, of Network Rail. Yeah. So I think I would start by looking at like kind of different what the different departments agendas are, what they're looking at. So if one department is really big on um, mental health and well-being, say, I would kind of put in my bid that we are um, a charity that really puts forward the mental health and well-being of our workers and our supporters mm -hmm. um, and kind of speak to it that way. I'd look at what the agenda for each kind Interesting. of area is. Yeah. And. Um, a lot of that knowledge is by making networks with people in, in the industry. So I'm sure you guys do that too, but... Jeremy's much better than I am. <laughs> he seems to know. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so and you said there was another stage after your prospect research. Oh, the cultivation stage. Cultivation, right. So cultivation stage is kind of before we go out to the bit. So um, it's where we first pick up the phone, first email, first meet someone. Um, usually it's the chair of trustees, but often not that really, really busy people. So it's um, we talk to like the secretary of the trustees first, and then we try and kind of arrange a meeting um, to make to really scope out whether we are good for them and they're good for us, and that kind of increases our success levels. Because as I say, if we're competing against. 200 charities a month who apply or some charities that I've talked to have about um, 800 applications by the end of the year some of them have so again charities work in different ways or trusts and foundations work in different ways some of them have monthly meetings that they get like 200 a month some of them have yearly meetings and they have I think one of them the largest one I've heard is one had about three and a half thousand applications but that's because they said they were general funds and they funded pretty much anything so wow. um we have to make sure that we're standing out and we're really capitalising on the warm relationships because people don't give to charity, well, because they're going to benefit themselves. They give because they feel emotionally kind of connected, either whether it's to the people of the charity or whether it's to the charity themselves and the work that they do. So, yeah, the, our cultivation stage is really getting to know those 76 people on the board, making sure that they think favourably of us. Which I kind of suppose you're more regulated against doing that than we are. Um, yeah, probably. I think I think what's interesting, really, actually, is that if you think about it in a process sense, you've split business development into or capture into two separate, distinct things. Mm. Whereas I think generally, a lot of people I know who would go do business development would just look at a company and think, oh, I need to, I'd like to go do some work with them mm. and start that that interaction mm. before they've done all the research that you do. Mm. And and Jeremy and I know a group called AIG who are coming to our um, breakfast event in September. Um, and they, they come from a military background. And actually one of the big takeaways I've taken away from doing some stuff with Dan and, and the team AIG is 
the amount of preparation they put in before they would talk to, in their case, Taliban fighters they're trying to get to convert mm. to, um, you know, um, help them with in, in uh, and turn them into into supporting um, actions in uh, and and giving intelligence. But actually, it's a, it's the amount of preparation you do actually mm. makes those conversations mm. better and and more fruitful. Yeah, that's probably why I've got loads of notes here. <laughs> yeah, whereas I'm, I'm me and Jeremy have just got like a little a little WhatsApp group where we just kind of like, yeah, we're interviewing Jen. We'll just talk about <laughs> something to do with bids. <laughs> okay. Jeremy, did you say you got one final question? Yeah, it was just at our breakfast event we had uh, this week. Uh, the interview you did, Mike, with Simon Boyle, I thought there was a really interesting quandary. That, so Simon runs Brigade, that's a social enterprise. Uh, so it's a very nice restaurant, but everybody who works there used to be homeless or near homeless, et cetera. So it's a wonderful uh, thing and uh, a great. it was a great venue for our event. But in the conversation that Mike had with Simon, there was a bit about bidding and how as a social enterprise they struggle because they haven't got a bid manager or, mm. you know, sort of tendering expert. Um, and I, I wonder, it's perhaps something for Mike and I to think about that we've got all these big corporates like PwC who are right in the office behind Brigade who have massive bid functions. Perhaps instead of, you know, where all of these corporates do uh, volunteering days or weeks and stuff like that every year, I wonder whether we should uh, talk to some corporates about instead of them going sending their people to go and dig holes or whatever, they, they should come and write some bids for you guys instead. So that is, we capitalise a lot on that. So um, I can't name any, any of the corporates that we are working mm. with or will work with, but um, we look at their fundraising, we look at their volunteer days and we, as a, as a charity at the moment, we fund research and we fund support and information. So we don't really have any painting fences, meals on wheels type stuff. So what we do is we ask for their expertise in other ways, whether that's accountancy, whether that's fundraising, yeah. whether that's gifts in kind. Wow. So um, what I would tell your social ent entrepreneur is to look at uh, a Trust and Foundation fundraising consultancy because there are about them out there. There's loads of them or um, look at ways of um, statutory funding. He'll find it a bit difficult as a social enterprise because he's got a different registration number from a charity, but there are still loads out there. There are tons. Yeah. I think they've got a charity arm, haven't they, actually? They have brigade, actually. Beyond Food is their charity, and then um, the brigade, the restaurant, is the social enterprise mm. that is supported by the charity. Yeah. I put it out on LinkedIn last year actually saying, you know, how does this work? It's great that I've now met Jen in moving to Newham, but um, how does this all work? And, you know, what if I wanted to, you know, offer my skills back into charities and, and the voluntary sector yeah. in terms of either bid training or um, bid writing, you know, because I, I, I'm very fortunate Mace offer every single employee a day to a paid day to go do volunteering. Yeah. So most people will do like, I feel my, my colleagues are going down the canal on canoes to pick rubbish out of the canal mm. or they'll go and plant some trees very valuable which work. are all very good useful yeah. and you know these things need to happen as well but i was chatting to to ed who works on our responsible business team and i said oh you know what i've re you know i've done it before with some smes and kind of tech startups it's going and talking to them about bidding pitching how mm. what to think about in your language and that sort of thing and and he was like well we've looked at it before but in reality people have generally said they don't want to do it because that's the day job. And then they kind of do volunteering to get away from the day job. 
But I think bidding people are a bit different. So he talked about legal and, and, and accounting before, I think. And they're like, well, mm. I spend all day looking at contracts. When I do volunteering, I don't want to spend another day looking mm. at contracts. But actually for bidding people, I think, I think there'd be an interesting, um, um, interesting thing that people want to get involved in. It. Anyway, so I put it on LinkedIn. And actually, I got two versions of feedback. Number one was people saying, this is a great idea. And here's some people to talk to. And I did talk to some people. And actually... I was living in the Midlands at the time, found a local charity that needed my support, and then the um, CEO of that charity just stopped talking to me and disappeared, and I don't know why, and, I kind of, and then I moved to New and, and lost contact. But there was a group of people who are probably the people who do it for a living, who are a bit like, who do you think you are coming into our sector? <laughs> like, we're not, you know, we're not a bloody charity case here, we're a serious business, and like, mm. essentially saw me as a threat to yeah. saying, I'll do your job for free. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, are we taking the piss, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not. There are lots of charities that are, I mean, I'm a fundraising advisor um, for a really small charity based in Newham. In fact, they're, they're like one person is full, full-time employed and she's the CEO and then everybody else is volunteer. So I advise on that. And it's the kind of thing that actually in the local communities, there are not enough trust fundraisers to be able to advise for how many local charities there are. So again, in my role as a counsellor, I'm often coming across local football associations, et cetera, et cetera, that need funding. And as my full-time job, I can be like, oh, check out this person. We have, I have a warm relationship with them and I know they'll fund that kind of thing. It's, um, it is something that actually you could really help with in local communities. If you were to say, go to Oxfam or um Salvation Army or Marie Curie they laugh at you because they have streams of people that are very good at what they do and have been very good at what they do and they hold those relationships already mm-hmm. but actually in the local communities um in your local area with your local I don't know um parent teacher association those kind of skills are really needed and probably quite lacking interesting I think mm. I think there's something in that about how and maybe there's something we, we should look at, Jeremy, is, is is how can you set up a kind of a portal or a platform where people can register their skills and register, register specifically in the bidding world? Because I'm sure actually there'd be quite a lot of people who would be happy to volunteer some time to support. I suppose mm. it's that one of my friends just warned me when I sort of started saying this sort of thing. And he said, you'll find very quickly you get drawn in and like it takes up all your time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. can't agree more with that and not not to be derogatory to a charity but they become quite she said this she'd done it for a couple of mm. um, women's charities and they came, they got quite demanding on her time mm-hmm. and when she'd say I'm really busy well I can't do it this week like it was actually seen as quite a negative thing because um, mm. she wasn't like seen to be as committed as the people who were in the charity full-time you know volunteering every day in day in day out so I think it's an interesting challenge. I, I just think, Mike, there's a, I think it's great coaching about finding stuff in the local community. And I think that is a good point about not getting too sucked in and being clear on what you can and can't do. Um, I was just thinking off the back of what Simon was saying in your interview about partnerships. Um, so you know, he's, he's got a partnership with PwC and a partnership with a, a big catering organisation. But, um, you know, I wonder where a big corporate partners with a social enterprise or a charity to deliver whatever it is you know rather than buying that service or product type from a a private sector organization could that corporate roll in a bit of bid 
stuff yeah. as part of the deal. I mean, um, I mean definitely. Um, I work on partnerships as well, so I kind of I'm a jack of all trades and hopefully a master of all of them as well. But in ways to be seen. <laughs> Um, we do lots of partnerships with, um, I mean, obviously, as we're based in London, there's lots of quite, quite a few banks, um, quite a few big travel companies. We do lots of partnerships with them. And um, we kind of try and capitalise on things that they already know about. So um, if they want to do volunteer days, then we ask their marketing and design people to come and do some of our literature and look over that. Um, mm. I mean, again, they're doing that day in, day out, but it's for a different type of yeah. thing um yeah we have a big gifts in kind thing so at the end of it if we've got a partnership with a, a corporate they raise money by bake sales and all that kind of thing we'll add in their gifting kind is what we call it which is kind of skills and services that they've donated to us that aren't necessarily financially uh, costed or they wouldn't financially cost it in but actually it has real big financial um, implications for us so yeah there's lots of kind of gifts and kind things that you can work and push that back up to your CSR managers because I'm sure you have them responsible business we call it MS. oh sorry responsible business CSR so last year oh sorry I'm not in the private sector <laughs> cool so if people want to get in contact with you and find out more find you on Twitter yes <laughs> your Twitter handle is at GB kitchen GB kitchen um, and LinkedIn, I guess you're on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. In fact, this podcast is going to go up on my LinkedIn. So. Is it? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to. Oh, there you go. Oh, well played. <laughs> so, Jen, mm -hmm. this section, Heaven and Hell. Okay. So, I'm ready. We want to hear your successes and your biggest nightmares. I'm going to start. So, can you tell us your biggest achievement or best win to date? I mean, being very British, I don't like talking about my achievements. Um, but I think the best achievement I have so far to date was at the Salvation Army. Um, I successfully raised £275,000 in one gift for a Tanzanian modern slavery um, refuge. And we funded that entire programme for four years. Wow. So... Yeah. A, tan, a Tanzania because it is it is in Tanzania. Yeah, it's it was... in Tanzania, and it was a modern slavery refuge. Wow! Wow! So yeah. <laughs> so go really... on then. So go on then. Tell us about your biggest bidding nightmare. Then what's your biggest catastrophe? It's um at the moment it's quite difficult because I explain really concept, really high concept. Um, medical research and I think the last time I went to see a medical researcher he showed me this amazing presentation and halfway through I had to stop him and I had to say this is amazing but my last science education was my A star in GCSE. Get the A star in there. Yeah, get, get the A star, star in. Well, well done. Yeah. Uh, I got an A star in GCSE biology um, but I don't know anything else. So you're going to have to start start explaining these um, proteins and benzynes and whatever else he was saying um, a little bit more lowbrow, because that's what I do. And he, his face just dropped. Oh. And I felt really bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I think we've all had that, haven't we? Like, talking to a technical person, and off they go on one. And I tell you what, I've been doing some military bidding recently, and out of acronyms, and he's like, hold on. Hold up. What's a TLB? What's this? What's that? What's the other? And they would look at you like, 
Oh, come on. Wikipedia is my permanent friend. I have to Google what a TTBK2 protein is quite often. <laughs> Don't ask me. <laughs> So, Jen, before you go, mm-hmm. you have to answer our three quick fire okay. questions. Jeremy's got them nailed. So, Jeremy, off you go. So, Jen, first of all, what's your favourite book or your favourite read? Am I allowed to swear on the podcast? Yeah, because yeah. Jeremy's already said piss. Okay. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> Which is fairly light for me, actually. <laughs> no Bullshit guide to leadership by chris hurst oh um it's why the world needs more everyday leaders and why that is you because again at 24 but based on my career kind of competing with loads of people that are much older than me i needed this book to like get my ass in gear nice and it's six pound 64 online somewhere not on amazon not, not on amazon because they don't pay the taxes they don't pay the taxes but also fine Excellent. Um, and the next one is who's your who's the most inspirational person uh, in your life that you've met or famous people, whichever. Oh, that's a very big wide one. I can do one for the trust fundraising world mm-hmm. and segment it that way. So in the trust fundraising world, um, there is a rock star of our industry, let's call her that, called Deanna Wolf. She's amazing. Um, she's really great at speaking. Um, a couple of podcasts ago you said you have to bid like a buyer and her kind of mantra is you have to write like you're a trustee so she's really great she's a really emotional speaker she'd be definitely one to bring in on your podcast oh let's look her up excellent thanks for that and the last one is what's your favorite quote oh i don't really have one <laughs> to be honest that's really bad can i I don't know, should I Google one and then come no, back no, to it? No, 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 it's fine. If you haven't got one. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't really have one. Probably kind of, oh no, I'm going to sound really cheesy when it's like, be the change that you want to see or something. No, no. I can't think of one. <laughs> I quite like that one, actually. Well, that was pretty good, wasn't it? That was fascinating, wasn't it? We, I think we've got it's one of those things where you realise you've got a lot to learn uh, or there's a lot you can take from that that was really interesting yeah I've, I've known Jen for about six months now so when, when I moved down from the Midlands to London I live in Newham um, and I've, I've met her through uh, or through the Labour Party and uh, yeah fascinating or, I, we've, we've done some stuff together and I've sort of spent a couple of hours in a car with her we just sat there talking about bidding and capture a much longer version of that conversation. And I was like, I have to get you on my podcast. I have to get you on it. Um, yeah. It's just, just, I mean, a, a win rate of 15% doesn't sound great, but if you have to get 300 people every time, that is, that is phenomenal. Yeah. Can you, can you imagine trying to bid against 300 people? Every, I, think I'd, I think I'd go insane. It'd certainly make your competitor analysis a bit sticky, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah so um we we're we're at the end of our of, of, of this episode jeremy anything exciting in the next couple of weeks um i've not got much on in terms of sort of big big toolkit or growth ignition related stuff I, i'm going although by the time this podcast goes out i would have been but i'm going to the web app event uh, the london one on tuesday tuesday the 18th yeah um 
at Chapman's offices. Um, um, I've got a feeling I've got something that clashes and I can't work out what it is. You know, when you, I'm sure I've committed to something on Tuesday and it's not in either of my diaries, my work, that's yeah. one. And I'm like, through WhatsApp messages, going through emails. What have I committed? I've definitely committed to something on Tuesday and I can't think what it is. Can't think what it is. Um, and then on Wednesday, I've got a bit of a pro bono day, really. Um, there's a guy um, who owns a business called AGL Compliance who do um, modern slavery auditing, ethical auditing. Uh, but he's got a, a, a sort of very unique new technology platform for managing those big programs of supply chain audits around the world for big corporates. His biggest client's Red Bull F1, but he's looking to enter construction. So as a friend of a friend or a friend of a client of mine. So I'm taking him for a meeting uh, with uh, a couple of people in the big names in the sort of sustainability bit of the construction world. One, a contractor, um, the one that you work for, and uh, one, a big developer client. So uh, that'll be a bit of a fun day out uh, on Wednesday. Um, and then the following week, um, I am going to a procurement conference that YPO are at. So I'm just going to go and stand on their stand uh, for half a day. Yeah. Is that what, sorry? Is that the one you're speaking at? No, that one's in, on the 10th of July, I think it is. That's their proper world of procurement conference that they put on. Uh, I've gone and forgotten the name of the conference that I'm, I'm going to, but it's one that's it's one of those sort of general buy a ticket jobbies. Um, that they're, they're taking a stand at, so they've kindly let me go and stand on their stand and talk to some public procurement people. Um, and we've got quite a big thing, Morgan Sindel wise, uh, for me in sort of the tactical marketing and events plan that Chloe, who works with me and I, have built for my area of the business. We've got a consultant and client networking drinks on Wednesday the 26th, um, which is... Uh, Thanks for the invite. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't build schools or stuff, mate, I'm afraid. It's quite focused on uh, the, the particular markets that we're looking to grow in. Uh, but we've got some quite big names, client people who have accepted, actually. So it's, it's really exciting. But I think we're going to be run ragged that evening. So that's a bit of a long day standing on a stand and then going and doing that. How about, how about you? What are you up to the next couple of weeks? Um, not a lot. Much less, as always, much less exciting than you. I've got a couple of big bids on one of the couple of the UK one in Iceland um, that are kind of getting into the next stages now so making sure they're ramping up correctly uh, and what's the date today it's the 15th isn't it so yeah. uh, actually no we'll have one more episode before but at the end of the month I'm doing the, the Jones Lang LaSalle or JLL they're called aren't they the um, property swim and the property triathlon so. oh yeah yeah is that 10k this is the two, this is the, the sprint. This is a two point two k. So, right, okay. I think we've got another episode of the podcast before then. So I'll tell you about it more then. But lots of lots of swimming. So I was meant to go this morning, but I slept in. So I've got to do extra swimming tomorrow morning. Um, I'm going back to the Midlands tonight. So I'll go to Box End Park in Bedford. If um, well, this will go out after I've been swimming, so no one can come join me. But uh, I'll I'll go to Box End park in Bedford tomorrow and do do some laps of their um their boating lake and um get ready for the wow. the JLL property swim yeah so looking forward to actually um but apart from that I'm just I'm just head down bidding at the moment um 
really busy, really, really busy. And I- everybody seems really busy at the moment. At the breakfast event, everyone was saying how flat out they were. Yeah. And I, you know what, I, I thought the world was meant to be ending. But- but everything was delayed in March and April because, um, you know, government couldn't make decisions and procurement teams had lost their people to do no, no deal planning and all sorts of stuff. And so everything was just delayed. So you've got double the amount of workload during the summer. And it is a bugbear of mine that there just seems to be procurement people who design tenders to run during Christmas and the summer holidays. And I don't know what what, what brings them to that decision. Maybe it's the, the fact that the start of the year is kind of March, so by the time they launch it, by the time you get to the meat of the bid, it's the summer. But loads of big procurement exercises all running over the summer when you've got people on annual leave and 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 perhaps less productive because they want to go out and sit in the sun and and, and have a few beers in the evening and that sort of thing so um, mm. not ideal really but a load of big procurement exercises running over the holiday period which is which is um quite stressful but but actually the, the problem is that i'm just i slightly feeling that i'm not getting ahead of and getting the headspace to think about the future stuff which are probably need to think about the next couple of weeks is how do we get ahead of all this stuff because yeah, the classic quandary i'm becoming a bid person again and i'm trying not to be a bid person it's not my job technically so mm. yeah anyway so um that was an interesting podcast um as always you've got a much more exciting life than me in the world of um bids and procurement but um we'll be back in a fortnight's time thanks mate see you then see you later, Hi, it's Katie. We've reached the end of the podcast. Links to the topics you've heard about today will be included in the show notes, so please do check them out. And if you'd like to feature in the show, you can drop us a message on Twitter or email redreviewpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time.